Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Glad you could join me. As we um, move towards spring, well, I guess officially we're in spring, whatever that means, wherever you are. Here it means a little bit more time, daylight, to do a little training and if nothing else, run, flick a little bit more. How about yourself? Well, if you're in the training mode, I've got two experts coming up on the show, Ronnie Smith and Susanna Love, yeah, of Ronnie Smith Kennels. You know the Smith method of dog training. We're going to go into that in depth, and and we're going to pursue a couple tangents in that regard as well. So stand by for some things you probably haven't heard or read about yet from Ronnie and Susanna. We'll also take that a step further with my own lessons in uh, place learning and how that's <laughs> affecting our training situation. That'll be our Handle It segment this week. And then I'm asking you uh, whether you would pay to play. Yeah. Uh, does uh, the idea of um, uh, buying your way onto a piece of property make any sense? I think you'll be surprised at the survey results there. It's all bought, brought to you by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Trulock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Joy Dog Food, and my new online webinar on public access. Yeah, 107 tips in 59 minutes. Yeah, listen fast. Learn more at finebirdhuntingspots.com. So always interested in these sort of things. The uh, it seems like the, the debate on this topic has uh, has kind of abated for a while, and uh, so I thought it'd be interesting to bring it up uh, based on your current experience and uh, um, maybe how things have changed in the last few years, whether it's because of the pandemic or your experience on public ground. So on the Upland Nation Insights newsletter, which you can sign up for at findbirdhuntingspots.com, by the way, on the newsletter, I asked you recently, would you pay 50 bucks to a farmer for a high quality day hunt in good pheasant country? And you know what I mean. You know, there are lots of folks who, number one, if you do knock on the door, uh, maybe they'll give you access. Whether it's good or not is another question. But there are always lists at local area chambers of commerce, for example, that have uh, farmers on it that are willing to s sell you a day for a you know, trespass fee. So in this case, I thought 50 bucks for a high-quality day hunt in good pheasant country Wow, did I get the responses there? And listen to this. 80% of you said you would do that. I understand completely why. Think about it. You know, whether you're in Minnesota or Nevada and you're, you're going to South Dakota for what you hope is your big trip of the year, um, wouldn't a little bit of insurance after expending all that money on travel and lodging, wouldn't a little bit more insurance in the form of a trespass fee um, help out in making it a peak experience? Well, like I said, about 80% of you agree. Yeah. Only a hard no from about 8.5% of you, um, which I found also fascinating. Um 
more closer to home. Uh, I've unboxed my new pointer side-by-side 12 gauge and can't wait to get to the range and try it out. Did the usual, went through the whole thing, put it together, put some snap caps in, changed the choke tubes out. You ever look at that? I wonder if there's a rule on which choke tubes they put in at the factory. Anyway, mine were way, way too tight. So I went all the other way and put in a skeet and improved. So uh, hopefully I can hit the close-in targets and I never shoot at the long ones. We're getting longer runs. The days are longer. We got a little bit more daylight at the end of the afternoon. So Flick is getting out there a little bit farther. And... Uh, Speaking of paying for a hunt or not paying for a hunt, I'm laying plans for my September hunting trips already. I'm looking at uh, Montana and South Dakota for sharp tails. How about yourself? I'll be asking you about that sort of thing in the newsletter too. So do me a favor and sign up. Just go to findbirdhuntingspots.com. Scroll down on the first page and there's a spot for you to give me your email address. Love to talk with you and um, see what you're thinking about every week in the newsletter there's something for you whether it's dog training finding public access there's a shooting tip and uh, always a survey we're brought to you in part by mid-valley clays and shooting school yeah go there for a claycation or instruction they're in western oregon they're also your browning resource and source for that matter Call them anytime. Talk about new shotguns. Dave Fiedler is the guy to talk to about that sort of thing. He knows the Browning line inside and out. They have everything and would love to talk with you about their Browning uh, inventory from historic product lines like the Satori to the new CX that crosses over from field to range. It's all at midvalleyclays.com, midvalleyclays.com. And if you're looking to improve your turkey hunting game, go to trulockchokes.com. 15% off all Pinhoti turkey chokes through April. Yeah, better get them while they are hot. And then you get them hot in the field. 15% off all Pinhoti turkey chokes through April at trulockchokes.com. Welcome to the floor of the National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. We're in Minneapolis talking with all the all the important people who are here and, and nowhere else, at least not often enough. And that means we finally, finally got to connect with Ronnie Smith and Susanna Love of Ronnie Smith Kennels, second generation dog trainers. Yeah, you know the whole story. I won't bore you with it, but it's great to have you both with us. Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Thank you for having us on. I'm glad we could talk. We're going to talk about a few things. Uh, actually, the one that we were going to talk about, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because this is one I think is really important, and I'm, I'm trying to do more of it myself. So, Ronnie, if you were to, um, to help us get our dogs in the learning mode, I know you use the word calming a lot and that, that whole idea of uh, simmering a dog down. Uh, why is that so important? Right. Well, it... What it does is it um, it can it teaches the dog to have composure and it and it allows the dog to have better bounce back or refill to different situations. It teaches them how to mitigate stress. 
and uh, that's that's very important. And we also use positive stress because positive stress makes you stronger, makes you um, adapt or transition quicker and better to different situations. So having all of that in place before you start your formal training um, certainly makes the training go better uh, in, in anything that you need to introduce along the way. Uh, and I understand I, I can do certain things with my dog, and he gets really worked up when he hears the whistle lanyard come out or something like that and i'll just talk to him softly and maybe put him on a woe or make him do a little obedience drill once or twice just to slow down the the mental metabolism you can steal that term if you like um what other things can we do along those lines Susanna? yeah well the dogs like like you're talking about they are really reflective of our demeanor so if we can calm down what we're doing yeah then we can calm our dog down and to go back to ronnie's point a minute ago you know you can't teach a student it doesn't matter if it's a human student or a canine student you can't teach them anything until you have their attention and one way that's easy to get their attention is by having them get composed it's like having a kid sit down at his desk and go, okay my book's open i'm ready to study yeah so that's the mindset that we're looking for from our dogs when i was a an educator the only thing i'm legally qualified to do is teach but we called it learning readiness mm-hmm. and at different ages it became di- there were different ways that they expressed that mm-hmm. how do we know that they're ready ronnie yeah, so um, what we tell people, there are really two ingredients that you're looking for before you start that training process, that formal training process. We're training these, these dogs at a puppy. You know, we're, we're grooming them um, uh, with these stressors in, in the way that we act long before we train. But by the time uh, we're ready for training, we want a dog that has, that has good social skills. And again, that's a dog that can adapt to many different environments, any environment, right? A good refill, good bounce back. And we also want a dog that has a high prey drive because it's the desire for that game that's going to, the dog's going to allow you to put rules to the field, to um, manipulate behavior, train behavior around game. They have to know that they love it first before you shape it. Okay, so how do we do that? I mean, that's that's almost chicken versus egg. <laughs> yes, it is. So we're always just walking a tightrope. We're trying to balance that, that inherent natural desire with the manners. So first we introduce them to the field. We introduce them to birds. We, we really build that inherent drive. And then we start teaching them some obedience and some manners and some composure. Mm-hmm. And then through the rest of the process, it's just a balancing act. Is one becoming a reward for the other or anything? Do you use uh, uh, some aspects of bird contact, for example, as a reward for being uh, obedient? I think it's, yeah, go ahead, Sue. Well, I'd say not typically because um, typically obedience and the bird are two different things. Good. There's too much of a of a spatial dis- distance between yeah. those two things. Yeah. So what we're looking at is our our interaction with our animals is part of the reward, you know, for us and for them because it's an enjoyment of each other. We're working as a partnership. Um, so we work with their mindset a lot on that. And I think, you know, the game, this, these dogs have a genetic predisposition, right? So the game, the birds are the motivator, yeah. you know? 
Yeah. And that's what motivates it, them. You, you know, I'm glad you brought that up again. We've, we were going to talk about gunfire, but we covered that uh, in another discussion a while back. But the idea of how birds fit into introduction to gunfire is something I, I, I'm a little familiar with how you do, did it. But bring us up to speed on how, how we should do that. Well, there, there are a number of ways that, um, that you can properly introduce gunfire. And, and again, it goes back to just uh, a puppy and, yeah. and those loud noises that happen yeah. that might startle a dog. As long as you're composed and, and that type of leader, then it helps that dog overcome those. But when we get dogs in for training, um, we build that prey drive to a pinnacle, to a very high level, right? And then we, we very, so that's their focus. Okay, and then we just very gradually start to introduce gunfire as they're chasing because they're focused in intent, in intent on chasing this bird so that you can very safely introduce gunfire. And once we start shooting, we don't quit shooting. We, yeah. we yeah. continue. And we treat all of our dogs as if they're gun shy. Wow. We don't ever want to make assumptions that they're okay with that noise. We treat them all as if they're gun shy so we can keep moving forward and from day one from day, day one. one so you're 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 just doing what i would do i'd wear a belt plus suspenders if i could but people think i'm crazy when i do that but the idea is be cautious mm-hmm. be proactive in that world and all of a sudden a lot of those things probably just never erupt yeah. do they and if we find ourselves in a situation where maybe we fire a gun and that dog turns and references it We've always got a pigeon in a bag, yeah. and as soon as they reference that noise, we flush another bird so we can turn a possibly negative connotation yeah. into a positive one. I heard the gun, and oh, there's another bird. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to belabor the point, but we all know birds are a critical factor in every step of the way, aren't they? Indeed. Yeah. You know, uh, you said um, we want to uh, we want a calm dog, and there's one version of calming a dog, and then I think you used the term resistance or something along those. There's another version of this that we need to use as well. Did I hear you right, Ronnie? No, I don't. Okay. I don't believe we've we've said that. Okay, so um, what is the biggest challenge you face with? Um, let's just call it a for lack of a better term, a, a started dog. Somebody brings you a dog or you're working with your own dogs in your own kennel. Um, what is the the next big hurdle that a started dog needs to get over? For us, as far as somebody bringing us a dog, um, I think the biggest hurdle is making the transition um, between us and the owner. Huh. Even Even when Ronnie and I um, are working together. We work together every day. If, if say, he takes over a dog for a couple of weeks and he's just working that dog by himself, and even though I'm watching that dog, I'm not handling that yeah, dog. Yeah. If I run that dog after those two weeks, it's not quite the same because the dog is having to make the transition between the two of us. Even though we are working side by side yeah. every day, using the exact same format, um, we're very well versed in it. It's different for the dog because everybody's timing is slightly different. Everybody's mannerism is slightly different. So for the dog, transitioning between people can be very challenging. So when we bring our owners in and make that transition to them, very often that dog kind of falls apart because they're trying to feel out their their cues from their handler. I, I get that. We live it too. 
um, because my wife is not involved in my dog training except when I'm at Pheasant Fest. And uh, that's not enough. So I, my thought was, okay, let's train in parallel for a while. Maybe that's a dumb idea. You tell me, Ronnie, do you, how do you make, how do you transition a dog from you two or one or the other of you to the owner? At some point, you hand the guy the lead and you say, good luck. Hopefully, you've set the stage correctly. Right. So we tell our owners when they bring a dog that, that when you come back, when this dog has completed the, uh, the training format, when you come back, and the dog sees you, he's going to be the same dog that, that he is right now. Yeah. He will revert back to the same behavior immediately, right? Because you're the cue for that. It, it's, it's just a relationship. Past, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. a past relationship. And what makes it easier for us is that when a dog comes in, we have no relationship. So we establish a relationship, right? On the right foot. That's correct. On a clean slate. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So... Um, you know, transitioning that dog to the owner means that the owner has to reshape his behavior as well because we're all creatures of habit and a person acts a certain way and a dog reacts to that. So that, that all that relationship has to be restructured. So you have to retrain the new trainer, if you will. That's right. What setting do you put the e-collar on for that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> but are there things you can do? Like, like I said, I wasn't joking. I'm, I'm thinking for a while there, my wife should be shadowing me and vice versa. And, and when I say, whoa, she should say it with me. And then the dog will get it. And then at some point she says it and I don't say it, but I'm right there. That's probably a dumb idea. But there are, are there things you two do when you're about ready to hand over the lead to the owner? So we've gone through a couple of different processes with our, our clients over the years. And what we have found works the best is when the owner comes to pick up their dog, we really focus on the basics. Yeah. And, and for us, those basics are three simple things. Go with you, come to you, and stand still. If you can practice those basics in a yeah. controlled environment yeah. and, and the owner get back on the same page with the dog where they're in their groove, they're, they're um, cueing and complying without any hesitation. Both the dog and the human are comfortable and confident in the cues. Then you can take that dog and that owner and go to a hunting scenario, put the birds back in the equation, and everybody's successful. So that's what we tell our owners is when they pick up their dog, really concentrate on getting proficient cueing your dogs, those three basic behaviors for the next maybe two weeks, even in the backyard. Yeah. Just get comfortable with it and get on the same page with your dog and then go apply it in the big wide open world. And uh, you, know, you can take them to a park, you can take them to... Um, anywhere you want and the bird field as well. Because they've been reacquainted with the obedience side of things, if you will, being de the, the messaging being delivered by the ultimate owner handler. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Am mm -hmm. I following that? Mm -hmm. Ronnie, you had something. Yeah, there. and that's probably been the most um, difficult lesson for me to learn. Um, mm -hmm. Susanna has, you know, I, I train bird dogs, right? And uh, have always trained bird dogs. And, um, Maybe you should train those two. <laughs> <laughs> and and Susanna has, has tried to beat into my head that, you know, the dogs that we're training now, um, for the most part, live in a in an urban environment. Yeah. They all live in our homes, right? And 99% of the time, 
that is the relationship with the dog. So we're, we're training a different bird dog than, than I grew up training, right? Mm-hmm. So she has finally convinced me after 20 years that um, if a dog will do the obedience in a home or, or an urban setting, that that behavior will follow them to the field. Yeah. And there and, won't be any erosion. And if that's their routine in their daily life, then when you take it to the bird field, that's just another environment for them to apply it in. It's not a big change in behavior. Yeah. I'm a slow learner, but I'm get, I think I'm getting it, and I'm going to say what I think I get, and you check me on this. Obedience is everything, and we need to expand our definition of what obedience is. It's not just walking at heel. It's not just coming when called. It's, it's all the commands and some probably unsaid commands slash behaviors. Am I on the right track there? Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> so obedience is everything, except you still, if you want a proficient bird finder, yeah. you still have to have that focus. That mindset is still critical. So we don't want people to just you know drill, drill, drill on the obedience. You still have to nurture that mindset and keep that focus on the birds, or you will go to the field and have a super mannerly dog, but they may not find any birds. So there's it, a balance yeah, there too. Yeah. You say mindset. Am I correct or incorrect to say prey drive? Is it synonymous? Same thing? No. Okay. So what do you mean by mindset? When I'm talking about mindset, it encompasses everything. That I want that calm, composed, confident mindset. Yeah. And I want that focused mindset out there looking for game. It it complies everything together. Okay. Uh, so it's not pure instinct as much as it is a, a, a kind of a discipline in the dog sense. In the zone. There you go. <laughs> well, we're just uh, just about through with the first half of this lovely interview between Susanna Love, Ronnie Smith, and me, Scott Linden. I'm the host of the Upland Nation podcast here at the National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. Now, that is a mouthful. Uh, so... Don't go away. We'll be right back. And in addition to Ronnie and Susanna's wisdom, well, my hard-won lessons in uh, what I call place learning, right here in the kennel yard, I'll be sharing those with you. And just as a reminder, this time of year, who couldn't use one? But first... We're brought to you in part by Joy Dog Food. Yeah, yeah, you've heard of them. They've been a force in the hound community for over 75 years. And now they're making forays into our world as well with their high energy and super meal formulations, both 100% American ingredients and 100% American made. High quality product for high performance dogs, Fixed formulas, yeah, they're not just taking the lowest bidder. Fixed formulas provide consistency and performance of their feed and thus your dog. Family owned and operated. Learn more at joydogfood.com. Joydogfood.com. Wearing my new boots, one of the many great brand names you can find at midwayusa.com is the Crispy Boot Line. Oh boy, I can't wait to try them in the Chucker Hills, but got to break them in a little bit first. You know, MidwayUSA.com carries just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors from 
Well, dummy launchers for your dog training to the boots I've got on my feet, from brush pants to hunting vests, it's all at MidwayUSA.com. And you know, 20,000 of their products ship fast and free at MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Ronnie Smith and Susanna Love of Ronnie Smith Kennels. Hey, Ronnie. Oh, yeah, we're at Pheasant Fest. Uh, (laughs) You all moved uh, recently. I mean, I've talked to you since then, once at least, maybe twice. How do you move an entire training kennel, let alone the residents of all the kennels in the kennel? I mean, that's got to be a logistical nightmare. and and particularly for you, because if I recall, that was one of the very few moves you've ever done. Yeah, that's right. I was at that time I was fifty seven years old and had never moved, right? Now I've <laughs> I've been gone from home for forty years, you know, going from hunting camp and in and up north to the prairies, but uh, but that that was different. It was we had a lot of good friends that that came and helped mm-hmm. us in uh, everybody knew what they were doing, and it was really, uh, it, it was not as difficult as we thought it might be. In reality, the dogs and the kennels and everything were moved in one day. That's you know, it was mind-boggling. A long day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I know the feeling, and you all know how, how to move horses, too. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Horses are just big dogs. Yeah. Uh, and that means more cleanup when you get the trailer emptied. But if you're like me and my wife, Susanna, you handled a lot of the logistics. Um, what, when it came to the dog moving aspect, what, what was important moving a lot of dogs a long way really quickly? Well, you know, in reality, it wasn't that different for the dogs because, again, the dogs that are in our facility, we're preparing them to travel. We're preparing them essentially to be adventure dogs, to be comfortable in whatever environment they find themselves in. So we load them up in a trailer a lot to go out to the field and work birds. So for them, that day that we moved, um, I was staying at the old place. I got up that morning, cleaned kennels, loaded all the dogs, um, and then our, our group of friends convoyed in with big flatbeds and started breaking down the kennels as I was loading up the tail end of the dogs. And we put them all in the truck and the trailer and broke down the kennels and drove 90 miles west to our new property. And um, we had tie-out set up there for the dogs. We got them out so that they could empty out and drink water and relax. And then I think by 5 o'clock that evening, we had all the kennels back up in our new facility. Wow. And we just went ahead and put the dogs in and fed them, and everything was just normal for them. So if you have a resilient dog, a dog that... Um, can travel like most hunting dogs it's it's pretty simple and and if we want to see i i think for a while there you were showing off all the results of all of that and it was uh, so what's the website address to learn more about you guys so our website is www.ronniesmithkennels.com that's easy enough to <laughs> and smith is spelled normally ronnie is spelled normally Susanna is spelled with two n's um other than that um there, we do travel. We all make mistakes when traveling. Um, I like to think that I learn eventually. Ronnie, when you're taking those dogs up uh, to the prairies for summer camp or 
early fall camp. What are some of the things you do to travel those dogs that we don't, whether it's preparing them in the morning by feeding strategically, watering, etc.? How do you best travel with a trailer full or a box full of one dog? Right. So we uh, will uh, allow those dogs in the morning um, to sure enough empty out yeah. and, and, and become hydrated. Uh, and then when we travel, we travel, we, we go pretty far. Yeah. And uh, we'll stop uh, in the evening um, and let those dogs out, let them, let them move around, stretch, empty out feed them, water them, and, and spend quite a bit of time out in the evening, uh, load them up, and then the next morning get up and, and repeat the process yeah. again. Yeah. So they're in a trailer. Of, when you're going way up there, it's a multi-day drive. So you, you really have to kind of acquaint them with long days in the box, right? And you do you do that gradually? Of course you do. Well, yeah. I think everything that we do helps equip them for that because, again, yeah. we're dealing with a calm dog. Yeah. When we go take them out to the field to train, we want them calm in the, in the trailer. Mm-hmm. So that's a part of everything that we do. And one of the things I think really helps them um, when they're traveling is we, we train them to eat. Huh. So we don't want our dogs to pick at their food for two hours in the evening. We want to teach them that when that food is in front of you, go ahead and take that opportunity and eat. Get get all your daily calorie requirements out of that, and then we're going to pick that pan up. So okay. that we're on the road. We're we're not waiting for dogs to to finish eating. We put that pan down, and they're heartily eating, um, and they they'll finish. You know, a string of dogs maybe done eating in 15 minutes. Wow. Um, and if we have a dog that is maybe more stressed with the travel, or a dog that's not eating as well. We'll always put a, a fortiflora of probiotic mm-hmm. on it um, for a couple of reasons. One, yeah, it helps with the stress and the digestive system. But two, um, it entices them to eat. Yeah. That, that taste and that smell, it just really helps entice them to eat so we can keep them um, doing well on the trip. Yeah, let's talk about uh, performance and um, what you do. Uh, granted, we all rode our dogs one way or another. Do you do anything else in the world of conditioning that we may not have thought of that might be a, you know, something we could apply to a single dog as well? You know, there was a time that we were swimming dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a, yeah. a, a gentleman from Canada that um, was, had sled dogs, and uh, that was fascinating. Um, at our old facility, we had it set up where uh, we had a pulley system, and, yeah. and we could put dogs out there, and they would tread water, for, and we would document those times, and... Um, it, it was, um, I've always rode dogs coming from a, a field trial family, but the swimming, uh, it was low impact, but it really paid dividends. Uh, we could really see the results of that. Yeah. And in, uh, if we don't have a rig like that, and I remember the first time I saw that, I thought it was pretty clever. Uh, we can simply throw bumpers mm-hmm. if we had to, right? Yes, yeah. sir. Um, anything else in the, in the, in the area of, uh, I guess I'll call it physiological performance that we can do as amateurs that might help a dog uh, through a long season or even just a long day in the field. Susanna, you got any trips? Yeah, I think maintain a, a 
high quality feeding schedule yeah. throughout the year yeah. not just during those times when that dog is going to be um, asked to hunt but throughout the year keep them on a good quality feed and that will help sustain them through the hunting season because mm -hmm. it takes them i'm not sure what is it 16 weeks to to see the full benefit of a change in feed so yeah. if you change feed right before hunting season it's not going to do you any good until you know hunting season is just about over yeah i remember the first time i read that uh Remember Larry Mueller? He's been a, a real inspiration to me over the years, and he reminded me of that many years ago. We don't think about how cells grow and die and uh, until you put it into concrete terms like that. Do you guys feed in the morning of a hunt? We do not. We yeah. feed in the evening. Yeah. Do you ever have dogs that are hard keepers that can't keep the weight on because they can't fit enough food into their belly one time a night you know i think those dogs are the dogs that have that nervous energy yeah. that nervous yeah. mindset and they're just not not a settled mind and they're just constantly burning calories yeah they're always yeah. more stressed than the other dogs yeah. next to them well that's my guy i mean he um he's a german wire hair which is his first strike against him but he has no off switch yeah is there anything I can do for him? Well, you know, again, it, it goes back to it, it, how old is he? He's five. Yeah, so at that age, it's like Susanna does to me. She manages me. Yeah. So you've yeah. got to manage yeah. that, that kind of mindset. And, yeah. and every opportunity is an opportunity to train yeah. and, and help him help himself. Help him be composed in all instances. That's, you know, that uh, it's funny. Great minds think alike. This one just thinks a little bit slower than yours. Uh, we've gone to doing a lot of uh, mental exercise in the evening. It calms him. It challenges him. We don't need to run four more miles. We did that. We just want a dog that's uh, maybe stretching a little bit up Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm holding my head. Um, we... In the, high, in the high desert where I live and where, where I hunt chuckers, and there are all sorts of other places where we run into it, and you see it every day in the prairie when you're doing summer camps, and even anywhere else you're going on a long, warm day, I have trouble getting a dog to drink after a hunt. Now, you talked about adding a, 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 a fortiflora or something to a top coat, to the top dressing the, the food. But the first thing I want my dog to do is drink water when he's done with a hunt. Anything I can do there? One thing that we do, um, if a dog, we suspect a dog may be dehydrated and yeah. not drinking enough, you know, we may float their feet. Yeah. Because yeah. they'll go ahead and, and take that water in. Yeah. And by that, you're, you mean basically adding water to a pan of a dry kibble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That I think, too, that um, what we've, we've learned working in a, in a very hot environment in South Texas, I mean, it's always 85 degrees, it seems. Um, if you'll water those dogs before they get hot, mm -hmm. yeah, right, um, you can keep the, the fluids in them that you, you need to. You've yeah. got to be careful, um, uh, too, that, um, that that doesn't become behavior because it can. You can... You can call that dog in and water them and, and they take off again and on those days where maybe or those afternoons where it's hot and you're not seeing any birds uh, you can 
sure train those dogs to come by and want to yeah. drink of water and lose focus on what's going in the field. So there is moderation in everything. So yeah. you have to pay attention to that. But, you know, uh, again, and check me on this, that is a way to calm a dog, too. Get him back in and give him a, a little drink if you need to do that. Well, it, it is, but again, then it's just diverting focus yes. to you Good rather point. than business yeah. at hand. And, and I'm going to say this out loud. A lot of NAVDA judges will tell us that's what we should do after a dog is working hard. We don't need to cool him down or give him water. We need to s- settle him, and that's the trick for it. And I'm good to hear that it, it may be just the opposite of that. Um, I just want to talk for a while about uh, your, your hunting experience down in an environment like South Texas. First, tell us what that whole scene is all about. Now, most of us will never get to hunt with Ronnie or Susanna, let alone on some of the places that you've hunted over the years. Wh- what's that whole place like and and what are the challenges in hunting that area yeah you know the the challenges are that um you can have a dog during the summer that that you've trained and when you take him to south texas it's probably like chucker hunting the country overwhelms (laughs) him and they shut down and they lose focus and they're just not the bird dog they were most of the good dogs overcome that as they acclimate to that environment but typically it's a very sandy environment most of the country that we hunted was 10 to 20 feet above sea level Uh, a lot of cactus um, on the years that they had uh, rain in the spring a lot of of sand burrs grass burrs uh, so you would have to boot dogs so there's another distraction um, thick it, cover, a lot of thick, thick cover. cover. Yeah, uh, the, the birds could be amazing. And yeah. You could make, I mean, sure enough, make a dog in 30 days. Yeah. You know, uh, I've, seen, I've seen really good birds in my, in my life. Um, but you really, as you're, as you're running a hunt, you, you, have, you can carry so many dogs with you, and you have to plan for that. So you're swapping dogs often. To make it through a three three and a half hour hunt in the morning and then the same in the afternoon and then you go to coupling that with with consecutive days in a row there there was a time that my cousin rick and i were uh we were hunting 115 days out of a 120 day season wow and you really learn how to take care of your dogs you know to make it through that and and a good quality feed um uh, allows them to bounce back physically in, in, in regenerate, recuperate, um, heal, uh, in, in just being uh, cognizant of that this dog has to last for four months. You know, yeah. So you really rotate dogs and take care of them. Well, let's talk one more moment about that, then I'll turn you loose. I know you have some more, way more important to go. But that idea uh, just brings up a whole bunch of other questions about uh, whether it's a two-day or a nine-day hunt or 120 days in a row. Uh, we need to do certain things at the end of every day uh, to ensure that our dogs are ready for the next day or the next day or the next day. And, you know, we, we all understand the basics of that. We put them up on the tailgate and we look there and we look there and we look there. Is there anything you look for that we may not think about looking at? <laughs> Have you ever looked at the, uh, the pictures on a dog trainer's phone? Oh, no. So oh. typically it's dog on point, dog on point. Dog stool. Dog on point. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> so we really watch what 
what's in the dog's count. You know, are they going to the bathroom? Um, does, is their stool um, indicative of stress? Yeah. Um, is it a healthy stool? Yeah. That tells us a lot about the mental and physical um, condition of our dogs. So we're always, always paying attention to that. And I think sometimes that kind of gets forgotten. Yeah, it's not the glamorous side it's of not, dog but handling, it's, it's is the it? Real thing. <laughs> <laughs> and just for the record, because some people may not know, maybe they've never had a stressed dog. We're talking about nice, firm, mm-hmm. defined shape versus anything less than that. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So we'll end our discussion on dog poop <laughs> <laughs> and the whole interview with Susanna Love and Ronnie Smith of Ronnie Smith Kennels. Uh, I got to come out. Uh, it was I almost did it when you were in Big Cabin. Now I'd have to look all over again, and uh, we'll do that someday. But thanks so much for being here today, being at Pheasant Fest, all the things you do that help us become better dog owners and handlers. And thanks for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. Thank yeah. you for having us. Thank you us. for having us. Still got that place learning lesson for all of us. Coming up very soon, right after this word from sageandbreaker.com. They've got all the gun cleaning and care and transport products you will need. You know that range bag that I was talking about? Well, yep, they're making more right now. What does that mean? Well, you missed it. Or did you? There's a lesson in that. Don't miss out on future sales and new product announcements. You'll get them before everybody else, and then you can get the goods before everybody else by signing up for their mailing list at sageandbreaker.com. Yeah, the first thing I did with that new uh, pointer shotgun was take the choke tubes out, put the new choke tubes back in, and one of the places that I used the sage and breaker firearm grease was right there on the threads and even on the smooth part of those choke tubes just to make sure they go in and come out easily. Get all your gun care and cleaning needs filled at sageandbreaker.com. And uh, fill your gun needs, if you got a space left in your gun safe, at PointerShotguns.com. Yeah, you want to take a look at that new side-by-side. You also want to take a look at the case coloring available on any number of Pointer Shotgun models. It's all at PointerShotguns.com. You can also find a nearby retailer. Peruse all the models. Learn something even if it's how not to do something from my videos and articles, it's all at pointershotguns.com. Handle it. Thank you, George Quinlan, for uh, reminding me of the term way back in the day, place learning. A lot of the pro trainers, and I don't care what you're training, if it's agility or schutzhund or bird dogs, a lot of that training is only really driven home when your dog has mastered it to the point of flawless in seven different spots. Yep. Why do I remind you and me of that again? Well, because we're working on steadiness on birds that are walking around. You know you know how hard that can be on a young pointing dog. Well, it's hard on a five-year-old like Flick as well. So um, I go to the back 40 to work on that with him yesterday. And sure enough, 
that bird flies but it doesn't fly very far and that is just enough for flick to break point and start chasing yeah he didn't catch him but that was uh you know signal to me you know we'd move from the front to the back front to oh no the first time we went to the back he blew it went out got another bird did the same thing with a little bit more distance and everything was fine so we got two spots and yes it's not flawless it's not mastered but at least we got another spot on the uh, list to check off so whatever your training steadiness retrieving walking at heel do it in a whole bunch of locations and your dog will probably be a little bit more well some people say proofed we're going farther from the training table every day maybe you are too and with that i'll say thanks to ronnie smith and Susanna love boy uh, you know i just love being around you too thank you for taking time out of your pheasant fest to come talk with us to all of you who comment at social platforms sure love that appreciate it a lot it makes the podcast a lot more fun and educational we're made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Chokes, Joy Dog Food, and if you want to talk anytime, I'm at the Facebook pages daily and at findbirdhidingspots.com. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation Podcast.